Welcome to the Inside Out Money Podcast. Can't even recognize this place. Too many pieces of our past mistakes. Hi, I'm Maggie, and I believe real change starts from the inside out. So let's work together to improve our money and our lives from the inside out. We will explore all things money and our relationship with it. Join me each week with a rotating set of co-hosts, friends, and interviews. Let's jump in. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Maggie. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It actually is the first. Yes. Okay, well, if any of you don't know what you're doing here or how you got here, welcome to the Inside Out Money podcast. This is a personal finance podcast focused on redefining wealth from the inside out. Each week, I speak with a rotating set of co-hosts about a different financial topic to help you improve your financial mindset and tactics. And today, we've got Andrew, and we are going to share what's in our wallet. I like that phrase. It's from Capital One. Chase. Capital, I was going to yeah. say Capital One, not Chase. That's the worst in advertising when you think it's the your competitor, but yeah. it's actually. Um, so we're going to share what's in our wallet, but really what we mean is what is in our proverbial wallet of like all the things we have, what accounts we have, where we keep our money, which index funds we buy, all of that. Because I think it's I think people find it to be interesting to just hear how other people are doing things and what banks. I, I often get questions on like what banks people are using and what mixes of like well, how much cash you carry and you know what percentage is it of your overall portfolio and things like that. And particularly index funds. And I know you and I have talked about that a good bit on here, Andrew, but people are always curious which funds we own and all that stuff. Yep. We should give a quick disclaimer before we get into any of this. We are not professional accountants, financial planners, or attorneys. We are sharing our own thoughts and opinions, our personal thoughts and opinions. We do not know your personal situation, so our advice may not be applicable to you. And this is a podcast for fun, and take it as that. Andrew does have some pretty insane cycling skills, but he is not a professional financial planner. That's correct. We were just discussing Andrew's Strava, which is an app that tracks your workouts. We both use it, but Andrew uses it way more than I do, to be clear. But he posted his year-end Strava review, and it tells you how many days you were active. And I was shocked. I was just telling Andrew, I was like, I'm shocked by your 362 days active during 2023. That means, I mean, I had to like recheck how many days were in the year to myself. I was like, wait, there's only 365 days in the year right? That means you took three days off. Yeah, I had three days off. Those days were probably like you were traveling internationally yeah. or something crazy where you couldn't get access to your bike. Yep. Two, I'm pretty sure two of the days were were because of uh, a trip I took to Brazil. Yeah. Well, disappointing. I'd like to see 365 days this year, Andrew. <laughs> Just kidding. That, that was incredibly impressive. So Thank though you. we aren't professional, all those other things, Andrew basically is a professional cyclist and like the fastest in his age group in the US. So pretty, pretty cool. Well, Happy New Year. Yes. Happy New Year. You know what else the first is, right? It's, well, there's a bunch That's of different things things, because there's Net Worth Tracking Day. Mm -hmm. It's also... I mean, January 1st is when I'll snapshot all my accounts and I'll update all the financial documents that I've got. Oh, do you do, you do like a special update at the beginning of the year? Yep. And I, I, I've kind of over the years, I've, I used to do it monthly or quarterly and now I mostly do it once a year or once every, like every six months. So 
I still do it monthly, but really just kind of for fun, not because I need to. Yeah, I'll always do kind of the first week of January. I'll do a a full review of the financial picture, download all the transactions, get them into my Excel sheet, and then kind of put together a, it's not really exactly a budget, but it's definitely, hey, here's what I'd like to, here's how I'd like to allocate our spend across the different categories. Here's what we did last year. Here's what I'm going to target for, for this year. We don't hold ourselves to it each month or anything like that, but it's a, hey, this is what we want to do. Like last year, one of the things we had was I want to cut back on the Amazon random stuff, right? And so we'll we'll go through and make some some decisions where we want to invest, where we want to cut back. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to do our 2023 end of year spending review or expense review that we'll do with Liz and Greg and maybe even Erica, because I think she said she might want want to get in on that. Yeah, that'd be fun. She didn't do the mid-year. Maybe the next couple of weeks, we all get our uh, spreadsheets uh, together and Mm -hmm. and lined up. Yeah. Getting that on the books will make me make us do our year-end recap a little faster than we normally do. Okay, so we're going to go through the core accounts that we each have and a little bit more of just kind of sharing some stats about them and and different things that hopefully people will find interesting. Okay, so we're going to kind of organize this by type. And I think a good one to start with because it's something that everybody should have is a savings account, an emergency fund, whatever you want to call it. I kind of, you know, keep mine all as one. But I use Wealthfront for my savings slash emergency fund. And that's a high yield savings account. We've talked about a lot on here right now. With a referral, you get 5.5% interest, which is quite Which is pretty crazy compared to where it was, right? Yeah, yeah. Savings accounts were paying like 1% not too long ago. Totally. And it's so crazy. You recently converted, Andrew. Yeah, I uh, I made a big move. I'd been with Ally for a long time. I mean, over a decade, at least. I think it goes back yeah. to maybe 15 years even. And I still have my Ally account. It's our primary checking account. But I moved most of our emergency fund over to, over to Wealthfront. Thank you for the referral link. Yeah, no problem. Well, and we'll share your referral link in the show notes too, Andrew. So yeah, 5.5% interest, very competitive. And I'll just say Wealthfront has stayed competitive. They've always been ahead of Ally in terms, not just Ally, but many other banks in terms of as the Fed increases rates, they're increasing rates just like clockwork and very quickly and, and in response to it. Yeah, and it, it, it seemed like approximately Wealthfront was three quarters of a point higher than like Ally consistently. consistently, right? So Ally just moved theirs up to from four to four, two, four, three, and Wealthfront's been at, at over five for, for a while, so. Yeah, and the other thing I'll say about Wealthfront just because you, when you said checking account, it reminded me they, in the last year or two, also now launched checking account features. And so it's it's basically like an online checking account. It doesn't have, you can order checks. I've never actually ordered checks, but you can have your credit card bills paid out of it. I mean, you can use it like a checking account. And so I like that because I'm able to maximize most of my money all getting the highest interest rate instead of keeping like, you know, I used to kind of like move the excess over to Wealthfront, but now I just keep all of it, mostly all of it in Wealthfront. And then my credit card bills, which are the biggest bills I have, you know, that where I need to make sure there's enough money in my account are automatically getting paid out of Wealthfront. So it works out perfectly. I do also keep a Bank of America account, I will note, because there are just some things, I don't keep much money in it, but there are some things where it is helpful to have a local bank. And I do the same thing. I have a local account with Chase, just a checking account that it's, it's helpful to be able to deposit cash, get cash. It's easy. Yeah. One note about Wealthfront is just a disclaimer on the those checking features you mentioned. It's only for single accounts. 
And so when I went to go sign up, uh, yeah. I signed up a joint account and they were like, oh, by the way, none of these cool features are available on joint accounts. So yeah, that's a weird, yeah, it little, is weird. I didn't, I, under, I, didn't I didn't, that. I didn't get it. Why they, why they have it, that just, that separation. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully they said they will fix it soon. Yeah, Greg and I had already always had separate accounts in Wealthfront anyways, and so mm-hmm. we didn't have that issue. Okay, so let's shift to something else that I know we both have accounts for, and that's 529s. So where are your 529s, Andrew? For both my kids, they're set up with the Georgia 529. And the reason I did that was because you get a state tax deduction uh, for contributions to 529s up to a certain limit. I think it's $8,000 per couple, $8,000 per kid married filing jointly. Yeah. So I have the same thing also with the Georgia State plan, which is the most like kludgy website. And they finally like launched an app and it's Mm -hmm. okay, but not great. And then the, I do actually have a second 529 that I opened years ago with Wealthfront. I was maxing out the Georgia State one, and I wasn't. I I could have done some things kind of more sophisticated, but Wealthfront launched launched a 529, and I was very like enamored with Wealthfront, and so I put some money in that. That that one's actually run by the state of Nevada, I believe. I, I think it was at the time, and so I had some money in there, and I I actually just wanted to see their management of it mm-hmm. versus the funds that I was choosing. And this was a li- again, this was like leftover from before I had better knowledge and faith in the simplicity of index funds, which Andrew, I think the very first episode we did together on Inside Out Money was all about how awesome and simple index funds are, Yeah, which you'll hear us talk more about today because there's a lot of those in our wallet. Okay. So that's 529s. What about 401ks? So 401k, the options vary wildly depending on the company and and who's who's managing it for your particular company. For mine, I have access to the Fidelity 500 index fund, which is which is a fantastic option and so I have I've 100% allocated to uh to that option. So if if Vanguard VTSAX was an option, I'd probably put it there. But there's such a there's such a little difference between them that the Fidelity 500 fund is fine. Does your your company actually use Fidelity also, or that fund's just available within it? That fund is just available. Uh, the the management firm is Merrill. Merrill manages the 401k, okay. but the Fidelity fund is available. Yeah, most people, if you're doing your company's 401k, you don't get to choose who it's managed with, like Merrill in your case, Andrew. I have now rolled over my 401k Mm -hmm. into an IRA that sits at Fidelity, which is my brokerage house of choice, if you will. And mostly, by the way, it's Fidelity because that's just who I had early on. And I, I always say if I was like starting from scratch, I'd probably go towards Vanguard. But I will tell you, I really love Fidelity. Like their user experience, they've got zero based index funds, which we can talk more about. But I really do like Fidelity. So my IRA is there now. And I will say also my IRA, I have obviously a lot more choices now that it's outside of my company's managed 401k because you you can choose pretty much anything you want now. And I have most of my IRA in VUG which is a Vanguard fund, VUG. So I'd say, I don't know the exact percentages, but like 60, 70% in Vogue and the rest in FZ Rocks. And that's an aggressive mix with having such a big mix in Vogue specifically, but I'm playing long-term here. Yep. So I don't, I don't need slash can't access that money for 20 plus years. And I feel very good about it. And it has done me well over the past, I don't know, 10, 10, 15 years. And Maggie, one thing you mentioned that I always recommend is you rolled it over after you left your job. And so 
Yeah. I never recommend people leaving, you know, some, I'll talk to some people and they're like, yeah, I've got five different 401ks yeah. from five different past jobs. I'm like, that's just, that does not go along with the simplicity approach. So I always recommend people roll it into a, a regular IRA and, and just keep consolidating it if you're, when you're changing jobs over time. Yeah. And it's super easy yeah. to roll it over. Like if you go like through Fidelity, they've got a page that like walks you through it. I'm sure Vanguard, like every brokerage that you would use has one. It's super easy. It doesn't cost you anything. And sometimes it actually costs you by staying with whoever your company is using. Cause there's a lot of fees baked in there that you may not like management fees that you may not realize or really see. Absolutely. And you've got like the simplicity point, which was your point, Andrew, on it's just on the theme of what's in your wallet, the fewer accounts in my wallet, I think the better. And I actually need to clean up. We'll talk about some stuff, but I need to clean up some stuff in my wallet because it's just like I said, I've got like some I've got two different 529 plans. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of this is left over from me not knowing as well what to do and having kind of haphazardly just like thrown a bunch of crap at a wall over the years. And I now know what I want and I, I needed to kind of do some like decluttering in my wallet. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to have, you know, all of my 401k in one place, which again is now sitting in an IRA because that's what it becomes when you are no longer, you know, at a company actively putting into it. I also have a little bit of a Roth IRA at Fidelity and that's from, and I actually don't even have that from when I was eligible for Roth IRA. There are many years where I did the rollover, which you could do. It's kind of a loophole in the system, but a legal loophole. And so I have a small amount in a Roth IRA from that. And then I also keep all my, uh, or most of my taxable investment funds at Fidelity, but we'll come back to that. We'll do that one last. And then I have something unique. Actually, we both have DCPs, Mm -hmm. I forget. So I also have a DCP, which is a deferred compensation plan. We've talked about it in some episodes. I don't think we've ever done a dedicated episode on it, but I'm a huge proponent of this. Andrew, I know you are also. If your company offers a deferred compensation plan, it's an amazing benefit to take advantage of. It essentially allows you to defer compensation into an investment fund, not pay taxes on it at the time and pay taxes on it as you receive those payouts over time. And every program is different. Greg has one. It's got a different name because he worked for a nonprofit hospital system, but I think it's like a 457 something mm-hmm. is the name of his. 457B. Yeah, right. Because I remember you sharing that yeah. you did not realize Crystal was eligible for that for a right. long time. One of your financial regrets in that episode. But DCPs are awesome because, it, again, it allows you to defer paying taxes on money from when you're in a very high tax rate or tax bracket to when you might be in a lower one. So it, it's worked out quite well for me as an example that I was able to defer and kind of force savings and have that money invested. My choice of investments, sim- similar to like a 401k in the sense that you've got a select choice of investments that you can choose from, but there's a pretty you know nice broad mix. And every company has different rules about how and when you can access that money. And mine is pretty specific. So I will receive payouts over the next 14 years. Would have been 15, but I'm one year into that plan paying out. And Andrew, yours, does yours work similarly? Yeah. The, the one th- key thing with the DCPs is, is like you said, the, the details are all very different. And so the benefit can vary greatly based off of the details of the plan. So you really got to look into, into the plan and see what the restrictions are. You know, some companies have a, if you leave the company, you get a lump sum, which is not ideal from a tax perspective. So you got to be mindful of what the different limitations are. Most will offer it where you can set a defined period of time, but the, the restriction of, if you leave the company, 
you're going to receive a lump sum is is definitely makes it less attractive when many companies have that have that clause. Yeah, Greg actually had a choice and he didn't have to make it till after he left. Like all my payout choices were things I had had to decide every year that I was enrolling. It's hard to predict the future, you know, right. that over, you know, every year. But Greg, after he left, had a choice to either take it as a lump sum or take it in over like 10 year installments or five year installments, which which I think is pretty cool because at that point in your life, then yeah. th- like once you've left the company, then you know, like, oh, do I need all the money now because I'm, you know, was laid off or whatever? Or do I want to, you know, take this over time? Um, and I actually think one of the many reasons why many people don't participate in DCPs, either A, they're just not aware of them, or B, they're complicated. Mm-hmm. So when you really try to understand like how it works and what your options are, often you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to do with this. Um, but I would say get past that. Read <laughs> read all the paperwork yeah. because DCPs are awesome programs. And, and so inside of your inside your DCP, what are the investment options that you have? Um, that's a good question. Let me tell you the exact fund because it's, it's all sitting in one. So you'd think someone would prepare in advance for this, you know? So my DCP is sitting similar to a 401k. Like I don't get to choose which brokerage it sits at. It it sits wherever IHG keeps their DCPs, which could change over time even. So it's sitting with another brokerage that I don't keep any other money at. So it it is sitting 100% in a JP Morgan large cap growth fund, which is the equivalent of VUG, Mm -hmm. VUG, which I mentioned a lot of my 401k is sitting in. So it's a little bit more aggressive than something that tracks the entire stock market because it's weighted a little bit more heavy towards tech, large tech companies and large cap growth companies, which tend to be tech companies. Right. And then for my DCP, it's managed by Merrill, same interface as my 401k, and it has the same investment options available. So I have 100% in uh, the Fidelity 500 index for, for the DCP as well. Hey, do you think I'm too aggressive having so much of that money? I mean, my... My point of view is is don't get greedy and you want the market returns. You don't want to be above the market. You don't want to be below the market. Yeah. You just want the market returns. So I have never been given a reason or I've never seen anybody make the argument to not be in an index fund and to make sense. Yeah. I mean, the tricky thing is I consider, I'd be curious if you do. I consider VUG an index fund. I don't know exactly what is in VUG and what it looks like. I mean, it's very similar. You should go look at it real quick if you have time. Vanguard Growth Index Fund. What's in it? All the percentages are just heavier than. Uh, so the top whole price, more historical prices. Yeah, I mean, it's got 12, 13% in Apple, whereas VTSAX would have 5%. I think 5% is what Apple is. Yeah, so. Vug has 13% in Apple. Your um, S&P 500 one, your Vanguard F... Oh, sorry. I'm reading the wrong funds. Let me read your FX, AIX one. Yeah, it has 7% in Apple. Yeah. And 7% in Microsoft versus Vug has 13% in both. So it means it's got like double the Microsoft and Apple. I will say if there was ever a time I was considering a change, there's been like reading a lot about Apple's performance and... Yeah. I mean, so if you look at... I'm just pulling up my Yahoo chart here. VUG versus comparison VTSAX. VTSAX. Yeah, I mean the 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 heavyweight on on tech has has served it served it well. I, you know, it's been you know tech has had a bull run for for a really long time. It's just what how much uh, 
Yeah, how much am I willing to bet on that? I will say that back to my point, over 20 years, whether I wouldn't bet on it like the next five years, but like over the next, in the long term, would I bet on it? Probably. But I actually really like your point on like, don't get greedy, right? Which Which isn't sort of... I mean, some people might misconstrue what you're saying there, but like I hear you on the there's a reason that you believe in the simplicity of following the overall market. Mm-hmm. Right. And not saying, well, but VUG does outperform, you know, VTA, SAX. Right. But it it won't necessarily long term. Cor- correct. It has. Long-term, yes. Right. And and I think, yeah, I, mean, I just I just follow the principle of of I want the I want the market returns. I don't want above yeah. and I don't want below or less. And the reason why I say don't be greedy is you don't need more than the market returns, right? If you look at the performance of the market over time, yeah. you, you don't need those outsized returns. And and also, if I ask myself, like, well, why am I in Vogue? First off, Mike recommended it a long time ago. That's why. Mm-hmm. But also, and it's done well, like I've seen, I'm like, well, it looks really nice to see the increases. Mm-hmm. But it's because I believe it will have outsized returns. But I don't want to get in the game of trying to out-return the market, to your point. And so when I really ask myself, like, well, wait, does that feel in line with, you know, what I want and what I believe and what I feel comfortable with? I'm like, actually, no. And so to to my point earlier, there's a number of things I want to do to clean up what's in my wallet from some old stuff that, well, when we get into investment accounts, I can talk about it, but from cleaning up some old stuff that I've owned for a long time to also like re-simplifying and kind of baselining some of those big accounts which is where a big chunk of my money sits yeah one thing that gets challenging with the rebalancing and changing strategies is just taxes right and so because you got to sell something right but at the same time don't hold on to a bad investment just because of taxes right the number of people i've seen who've who've held on to bad investments because they don't want to get capital gains meanwhile they would have more than paid for those capital gains by a better performance yeah and there's, there's some things you can kind of do to slowly get things right, right back into the right mix and all that like re you know using dividends to rebuy something different and mm-hmm. not not the same stuff and so there's there's some things i can do but this conversation is kind of re- reminding me and inspiring me though i don't know andrew you also suggested i should sell my bitcoin right that was that didn't work out so great that's why there's a <laughs> that's why disclaimer. there's a disclaimer yes, on here right exactly. we, we shouldn't listen to each other let alone you should not listen to us right so we'll say that again okay Let's talk about our credit cards, and then we're going to wrap this up with our investment accounts. Yep. So what are your big favorite credit cards? Yeah, so my credit card strategy is pretty simple. I used to go for points and airline miles, and I just like getting cash back. And so I also just, I don't completely maximize it. So Costco, the Costco Visa card is our primary card, and we get cash back on it. And then I do, I've got an Amazon card because of the 5% back on Amazon. We have a Target card because of the 5% back on that. And then the Delta card I have just to get free bags because I lost my status. I'm a nobody yeah. on Delta now. And then I've got a Amex Blue and a Chase Sapphire just as uh, miscellaneous cards for just a simple reason like i like having a credit card in my uh bike bag so i just like having <laughs> like a card. backup right exactly it's yeah. funny okay i have had like something like 15 cards in the last year yeah or you've two gone like full crazy. circle you went kind yeah. of crazy travel hacking and then you were like yeah. forget this this is too much work and, and look i'm enjoying the points but yeah we we kind of like curbed it 
I don't know, six plus months ago. And I will say I have a number of credit cards, but my core cards that I primarily use are my American Express Delta Sky Miles card because we consistently fly Delta. We like the Sky Miles and it's it's a reward that we use yeah. and that works for us. And then our Visa Amazon for the same reason. There's a lot of places I can't use an Amex card and I have to use a Visa card. And it's just a nice cash back to Amazon mm-hmm. and it's a place that we purchase things from. And so it, it works well for us. We also have a few other credit cards that are kind of we're still left over from some travel hacking we haven't had we haven't hit our one year mark so we haven't canceled them but those two are really my core like favorite cards and then actually i guess i would be remiss to say i do out of really just out of like loyalty and it's not very expensive i do still have my ihg IHG hotels and resorts rewards card and i i have the one that has a 95 dollar fee i get a free hotel night Mm -hmm. every year which which pays for itself yeah pays for itself and i do get a lot of like additional points when i do still stay at a lot of ihg hotels when we travel when we do stay in hotels and so the points earnings on that is strong and i pretty much only use it when i'm traveling yeah i should mention something i didn't share which is one of my like favorite little hacks so fidelity is who i have a lot of my brokerage accounts at Mm -hmm. but a long long time ago i also set up a checking account there i don't even remember why at the time but they have a checking account and an atm card that i have with them it's the only atm card i use i don't even know where my bank of america card is Mm -hmm. but i use that fidelity atm card when we travel and anytime i need to go to an atm because they have free atm usage like they pay back all atm fees so if you're using a foreign atm where there's like crazy weird fees they pay all those back and if you're using just a local atm like anywhere any atm i go to anywhere in atlanta or in the u.s they pay back whatever the fee is so that to me is just like a really nice benefit so i keep enough money in that fidelity account that when i need to get some cash out that's the account I'm getting it out of. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I signed up for Ally to begin with because they were, they reimburse uh, ATM fees. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. I think most people are probably interested in investment accounts, but I could be wrong. And so, Andrew, let's let you go first because yeah. yours is mine is simple, more and, simple, bo- mine's and, clean. simple and boring. Because you've known, had you told me what you know, Andrew, I'm not going to harp on this, dude, but had you, you know, I'm like just kidding with you, but had you, had I known what you knew when I knew you back in our, you know, early twenties, I would also have the same strategy. So tell everybody your beautifully simple investment strategy. I actually have two investments. I wish it was one, but, uh, so I have one Vanguard account. It has all of our accounts in it. So brokerage account, my IRA, my Roth, Crystal's IRA, Crystal's Roth. So that's, yeah, the five. So all five accounts are with Vanguard. And then within them, there the brokerage account has the Vanguard S&P 500, a very small amount because like the first six months uh, I was with Vanguard, I was just putting in the S&P 500. And then I switched to VTSAX and everything has in, is in VTSAX. So 98% of the, of the portfolio is in VTSAX. Wow. Two funds. That's impressive. And I have to like the the S and P five hundred one is so small. I've debated just selling it, selling it right, to clean it up to yeah. to to clean it up. Like but what percentage of it is it of the total? It's like it's one or two percent. I think. Oh it's yeah, tiny. Man, you should just sell yeah. that up. So, sell it so you can just say I have it all in one thing because that would be <laughs> right. a fun thing to claim. Yeah, man. If I actually, I thought about really getting into this of like what I actually have Mm -hmm. because i don't have two funds i have sort of like a memento memory book 
of various times in my life when I look at my portfolio. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a good memory. I mean, you know, it'd be better to just look at one memory, which is like what you have. But I have, so two things. First off, when I first started investing, I've shared this many times, I was like 35 or 36 before I put like any meaningful amount of money in a real brokerage account. And I went with Wealthfront. I finally learned about Wealthfront. I had tried to work with some financial planners, like never really ended well. And so I learned about Wealthfront. I loved the concept. It's basically like robo investing. You're getting the best of a financial planner, but like in a computer, most financial planners charge 1%. Wealthfront charges 0.25%. So a quarter of that. And they're doing tax loss harvesting and all these other things. So I have a big chunk of money in Wealthfront because I started there and I had slowly been like putting more money in, you know, auto auto um, drafting money once a week or probably twice a month or whatever for a very long time. And so I'm that's one of those things where it's like, well, I could sell it off, but then I'm going to have to deal. So I just keep it there. I don't put more money there, though. All of my new money goes into Fidelity. So what mm -hmm. I have there is just grown. And I have, I went and looked at it. So of all of my taxable investment funds, and I'm not even including my DCP because that's that's still taxable, but that I can access whenever I want. I'm just referencing my taxable investment or brokerage funds that I can access whenever I want and sell off. Of all of those, about 40% of what I have is in Wealthfront. Again, leftover from another time in my life. Mm -hmm. Then I learned about the simplicity of index funds and I was already with Fidelity and Fidelity has a, a version of a fund that's pretty close to VTSAX, Vanguard's. Uh, there's actually a purchase fee when you buy VTSAX through Fidelity, mm -hmm. which is why I originally did. I'm, purchase fee is the wrong term. I mean, it's a, a lo It's anytime you're paying a fee to buy something, it's called a load. Okay, so for some reason, not all funds, because I can buy VUG through Fidelity for no fee. But when I try to buy VTSAX, SAX through Fidelity, there's a $2,500 minimum investment, which is fine. But most of the time I'm buying things on like a, you know, weekly, monthly basis. Mm -hmm. I'm not buying that much at once. And there's a $75 fee, which is ridiculous. And the way I work, I don't even look into like why that's the case. I'm just like, oh, okay, I'm not gonna buy that fund. And I knew that I knew VTSAX was very popular, particularly in the fire movement. So I basically found the equivalent to it. There's a couple of equivalents to it in Fidelity. You have a number of them in some of your funds, Andrew, that you mentioned. But the one that I really like is FC Rocks, which is F-C-R-O-X. And I like it because it's a zero fee fund. And so the fee on VTSAX is very small, Andrew. Is it like 0.03%? Something tiny. It's something... Uh... It's 0.04, sorry. And to be clear, the fee, I, by fee, I mean the expense ratio on VTSAX is 0.04%. And the expense ratio on a number of zero fee funds at Fidelity is literally 0%. So I don't know if it'll be that way forever, but it's been that way for a long time. And again, I'm not like knocking paying 0.04%, but the makeups are very, very similar. And so I really like FC Rocks and own a lot of that. But again, if you look yeah, at so my overall- Yeah, so that's the Fidelity Total Market Index Fund. Yeah. And it's, it's specifically their zero total market yep. index fund. They have other ones that are like similar to what you have in some of your retirement funds, Andrew. Mm -hmm. But they're not going to make the zero funds available in retirement <laughs> funds because they want to make fees off of those. And Fidelity has a number. This is not an ad for Fidelity. We are not sponsored by Fidelity. We're not sponsored by anyone. But Fidelity has- 
I think four, they might have more, but they have four zero funds. They have a zero large cap index fund, which is FNILX, which is the equivalent to VUG, close enough. They also have a, an extended market index fund, FZIPX. They have the one I love, which is the total market index fund, which is FZROX. I call it FZROX, but it's FZROX. And then they also have an international index fund. They also have a bond fund somewhere, I thought, a zero bond fund. Maybe that one's not a zero fund. But to make... A long story short, I have a lot of FC rocks, and that's basically all I buy moving forward in terms of adding. So I, I have, oh, you could think of it as like, I have a lot of old clutter in my <laughs> investment portfolio, but I only bring one thing in in the future, if that makes sense. And I really need to do some cleanup. I did a little bit of cleanup this year, and I but I mostly did cleanup on things that triggered a capital loss. Mm-hmm. It was helpful for maximizing my healthcare subsidy in 2023, but I need to do more cleanup, but it's hard to do on the things that trigger a gain. And I just need to get a little bit more kind of strategic and thoughtful on that or just not worry so much about it because it's more just that it annoys me that it's like messy when I go in that I have a bunch of other funds that are like a mix of recommendations from Mike. And <laughs> when when I should, I'm only laughing because Andrew's smiling because Andrew is just like VTSAX, keep it simple. And I agree with you, I 100%, but I, I have not always, you know, I've had different voices in my ears over the years. And as someone who kind of never knew what to do, I was like very susceptible to those voices. And there's nothing wrong with them, to be clear. I just, I am where you are at now, Andrew. And you're not alone in your thought, right? Like that is a very common yeah. point of view. There's entire books written about it. Well, I mean, also there's the just decision fatigue, right? Like yeah. just not having to think through it. Yeah. I own 19 different stocks in Fidelity, funds, different fund yeah. types, stocks, a, a mix of like individual company stocks. Like I still own a bunch of IHG stock I need to like unload. But again, it's going to Like just in your regular things. brokerage account? Yeah. Because it was back from when I got stock payouts mm -hmm. and I could either take it or sell it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really always know what to do. So sometimes I would do a mix and I'm not kidding. I will admit to you that there was a time early on when I, cause I didn't get this till I became a VP and they were, they were big chunks of money that I was being paid out. And especially mm -hmm. as I started investing more early on, I actually thought it was like offensive to sell it. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I was like, is it rude to sell this? It's not. And it's whatever you don't, you want to do. And there's not even anyone monitoring it. Like nobody gives a crap what you're doing with your stock payouts. Right. And your vested stock. And, but I own a bunch left over from okay. that. That's grown also over the last, yeah. you know, five, 10 years. But there was a point where I eventually got some better advice and like would sell all my grants right away and then put them into other things, including, you know, everything from paying off my mortgage to mm -hmm. investment index funds. But there was a time when I didn't know that. So it's like, that's why I say like all of these things I look in here, I go down the list and I'm like, oh, that's my IHG stock. That's a recommendation from Mike. It's done quite well though. Thank you, Mike. Mm -hmm. That's a mutual fund, the very first mutual fund I like ever owned. Before when I say I didn't do any investing but until I was 36, I did own a mutual fund with my ex-husband that we put like small amounts of money into, a TIAA CREF mutual mm -hmm. fund. And it's crazy how much money and then when we split, we split when we got divorced, we split it up. But it's crazy what that's grown into just in the last 10 years. So again, I go down the list and I'm like, oh, recommendation from Mike. Oh, uh, some bonds, which just I like was like, oh, I should have some bonds. So I have a fidelity. U.S. bond index. I've got oh recommendation from Mike. Another recommendation from Mike. Um, some Adobe that I bought a long time ago. Done very well. Yeah. Don't own a lot of it though. Like it's mm -hmm. just sort of 
you know, messy in here. Oh, actually more IHG stock that for some reason is under a different ticker symbol than the first one. So anyways, it's just the point of this is don't do what I do. Do what I say. That's not the phrase, Mm -hmm. but do what Andrew says. (laughs) Keep it simple. I think that's really the theme of this is like what's in your wallet. I think it's interesting to like look at what's in other people's wallets, but I also think it's interesting to kind of learn from what we would have done differently and just, you know, I don't know where we're at and where we would be if we had it all to do over again. And if I had it all to do over again, I wouldn't have 19 different stocks sitting in my Fidelity account. I'd have one or two. Yep. Okay. Andrew, when I was also thinking about what's in my wallet, I was thinking about our end of year episode where we established I don't actually ever carry a wallet (laughs) and that Greg is basically my wallet. So I thought about bringing Greg to to stand here in literal wallet. You literally don't carry a wallet? No, I don't ever carry a wallet. (laughs) Ever. When I go somewhere, I mean, I have Apple Pay on my phone. Yep. We should talk about Apple Pay because that isn't my wallet. I mean, I use Apple Pay everywhere and I get really annoyed when someone doesn't take it Mm -hmm. and then like expects me to produce a physical credit card. I'm like, what are we? (laughs) What is this? 2019? (laughs) And so, no, I don't carry a wallet. When I go out with Greg, sometimes I'll hand him my ID. Half the time I don't even have a driver's license on Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. It's not, it's not, I'm not, again, I'm not recommending you live like I do. (laughs) I just don't like superfluous things i like superfluous stocks sitting in my mm-hmm. account portfolio but not in my wallet so yeah no i don't carry a wallet but digitally these things are all here and hey just a final plug for like net worth tracking it is the first of the month i know andrew you do it kind of more annually lately i still do it monthly just because it's fun but the nice thing about net worth tracking is it's a reminder of like where all your money is too and it, and it often like every time i do it mm-hmm. I have way too many accounts still and I'm always like, okay, I got to like simplify and I don't do it every month, but it just is a nice reminder to say, oh, like, can I get rid of this account? Like, is there a way for me to close that 529 and move it to this 529? And so there's just, it's one of the additional benefits of net worth tracking is that it, it kind of forces you to like get your, you know, proverbial wallet organized and see everything that's in it and keep it in one nice place for tracking purposes. So I'm a big fan of net worth tracking to keep up with your wallet. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you guys for listening. We know your time is limited and valuable. We appreciate you spending some of it with us. If you've enjoyed this episode, we always love it. If you want to give us a written review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we really appreciate it. We also encourage you to share this episode with a friend or family member to encourage ongoing discussions about money. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have thoughts or questions, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a voicemail or text us at 404 981-3370 or hit us up on Instagram. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Maggie. Okay. Bye. Bye.